welcome to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now, podcasting from the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center in Chicagoland, here are your hosts, Ed Stetzer and Daniel Yang. Thanks for joining us in our Great Communicator series, where we talk with some of the top church leaders in the country about how to be effective preachers and teachers. This week, we're hearing from Pastor J.D. Greer. J.D.'s the pastor of the Summit Church in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and under his leadership, the Summit has grown from a plateau church of 300 people to a congregation of more than 12,000. J.D.'s the founder of J.D. Greer Ministries, and he hosts Summit Life, a daily 30-minute radio broadcast and weekly TV program. He's also the author of several books, including Just Ask, The Joy of Confident, Bold, Patient, Relentless, Shameless, Dependent, Grateful, Powerful, Expectant Prayer. But before we hear from J.D., we want to remind you that you can check out extended portions of some of our interviews at churchleaders.com slash plus. And if you're enjoying our interviews, be sure to leave us a review. Now let's go to Ed Stetzer, Editor-in-Chief of Outreach Magazine and the Executive Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Okay, J.D. Greer, having conversations about preaching. And I wanted to talk to you because you kind of walk in a space where you're very driven by expository preaching, which I'm going to ask you to speak into as to why, maybe to use your definition. But at the same time, you've really worked to try to engage as a compelling communicator as well. So let's talk a little bit about where you are related to verse-by-verse exposition. Uh, Define, explain maybe why you engage that way. Yeah. Well, I mean, maybe that's a good place to do is just start – with why even you know preach expositionally um there are two or three things that come to to mind immediately um i think some of them are for all preachers and some of them are specifically for me um and one is just because just to state that theologically obvious so we don't assume it life is in the word i mean cover to cover in our bible it teaches that god is a speaking god um jesus when he does miracles he is not just usually pointing his finger, um, he's he, he's speaking, and, and the life travels on the word. Um, you know, 2 Timothy 4, where Paul um, tells Timothy to preach the word, that is right after telling him that all scripture is is literally the breath of God, in the same way that it brings uh, you know life out of nothingness in Genesis one, and it brings sight to the blind. Is 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 this the word? Um, the word is where the, the power is. And if I'm going to have um, not entertainment power, but if I'm going to have life transformation power, it's going to be because uh, I'm preaching the words of God. Um, the second reason for me is because I am um, called to preach as a steward. Um, it's one of the words that's used. Uh, again, Paul uses that. Uh, John uh, John R. Stott wrote, R., um, John Stott wrote a book years ago. Um, it was called, um, I read the original version of it, but I think the, the newer a version was called um, uh, Between Two Worlds. And he built it around, I think it's five words that he, he says the New Testament uses to describe a preacher. And one of them that really kind of stuck with me um, was the word steward. And he, he, he said, it, you know, in those days when you thought about a steward of a house, it was a, a servant that was not in charge of the house, wasn't the, you know, the parent of the kids, but they were the ones that basically um, uh, took what the master's wishes were, what the parents' wishes were, and they were the one that you know um, did this for the kids. They educated the kids, they fed the kids, and he said, you know, specifically when you think about feeding the kids, um, it's the parent that is choosing what the kid eats, but it's the steward that is preparing the meal. And he said, um, as a steward of the word of God, he said, I don't choose what what God's children hear. God has chosen that, and that is is the word. He said, now I do have a shaping influence in it. He said, you know, just to tease the analogy out a little bit. He said, 
you know, if you're the steward preparing a meal for the kids, you don't go to the cupboard, you know, you don't go to the pantry and just say, okay, let's just take it in order from left to right, you know, um, green beans, green beans, green beans, you know, potted meat, potted meat, potted meat. Um, you, you will take different places on the shelf and you'll put together a meal. Um, he said that you, the, the, the preacher has a level of creativity and pastoral sensitivity sensitivity to his people. He said, but still you're using the content that is provided there um, in what the parent, the master put into the pantry. And that's the word of God. Um, so that's a, that's a second reason for me, a very practical reason is because um, I tend particularly to think in ruts. Um, and I know that, uh, that, and I, I think I'm not the only, only guy I hear Ed too, but um, I think if you've got, uh, if you're not tethered to the word, you end up having it could be two or three, or it could be seven or eight sort of themes that you always tend to go to. And those are very personal to me. I have those seven or eight for me, but I know that there are a lot of people in the congregation who are not, they don't think like me. They didn't grow up like me. They don't have the same challenges I do. And, and, um, God has a lot of things in his word for them. And so I'm um, just letting the word drive, um, the, 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 the emphasis in preaching is, is very important to me, um, you know, for, for all those reasons. Uh, I think, um, I think it's H.B. Charles. I, I love the way he says it. Expository preaching in our day it gets a bad rap because he said a lot of it is, it's neither expository nor is it really preaching. Um, what, what we mean when I say it's not truly expository is it's pulpit exegesis. It's essentially writing a commentary verbally in front of your people. And I'm, I'm grateful for commentaries. I've got a whole library full of them here right behind me. Um, but uh, the role of the pastor and the leader is different. I mean, the center of the Great Commission is not exegeting the Bible. The center of the Great Commission is make disciples. In fact, in Greek, the only verb in the Great Commission is the verb make disciples. Everything else in there is a participle, which supports the verb. And what that means is that the center of everything we do in the Great Commission is disciple making. And so um, when I'm making a disciple, yes, a very important part of that is exegeting the word. But um, the, the place I'm starting is disciple maker. And I am now doing with a congregation, essentially what I used to do in my college dorm room when I was first walking with Jesus. And that is I'm leading them to know Jesus, love him more and live out um, the Christian life a lot better. And um, that isn't, that doesn't mean that I do um, that doesn't make me treat the word any less seriously. It just means that um, I'm approaching it from the standpoint of, of I'm not just called to do pulpit exegesis. I'm called to do exposition. I, I love the statement. I, I don't know who said this and, you know, and I both know originality is uh, the ability to forget where you got it from. So, um, but this is not original with me, but um, it, the, the statement something like this. Um, when, 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 when the children come into the kitchen, they should smell the aroma of fresh baked bread, not hear the clamor of pots and pans. And the idea is, you know, I'm not just, I'm not just up there working out heiress tenses and stuff. I'm, I, I've got a, a meal prepared and I think that's important. Well, when I say not preaching and that's the last thing I'll say, cause I'm, I'm, I guess I'm basically interviewing yeah. myself no, here. Please. No, it's okay. good. good. I like this. Um, when I, when I say it's, it's not preaching. Um, and that kind of goes to that idea of, of if, if I'm preaching the word, if I'm preaching the gospel, um, I'm not simply trying to, um, just, elucidate the word i'm I, i'm i'm using it like a sword i'm using it like a uh, for what its purpose was which was to make disciples um and so um I, I even when i listen to preachers ed i yes i love a good exegete but i also i'm most attracted to guys i can tell are leaders and disciple makers and that preaching serves that in
Yeah, so so exegesis, we're going to be working the text, explaining the text. And and again, I, I, I you know, the, the joke here in the Wheaton area is, you know, Wheaton College is right next to College Church. And Kent Hughes used to just, he would walk through, he's kind of, he was both reading commentaries and, in a sense, writing commentaries. And they're brilliant commentaries. And it was just, you know, just this, this long, long form exegesis. Um, and what you're pushing towards is exegesis that leads to exhortation yes, uh, and shapes it differently. But I want to come back to the exegesis question because there are some of our friends who say that the only biblical form of preaching is, I've actually heard people say verse by verse exposition, um, and yet we don't, we don't see that in, 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 the, in the New Testament. We don't see that in, uh, we don't see that in the first few centuries of the church, maybe John Chrysostom. I mean, the first time we see right. part of it because they lack the linguistic tools. You know, when you go in, you're going to, I'm guessing you diagram a sentence when you're preparing your sermon. You, you look at the, the Greek and the Hebrew and, you know, and, and, you know, what the original words meant, but, you know, and you, you love missions. And so all around the world, there's hundreds of millions of Christians who are in oral cultures or who are not literate. So is there no hope for them to do biblical preaching if they can't, if they don't have the tools to do that kind of uh, exegesis that you and I might do as we preach? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to be careful here, um, but I mean, one of the things we do believe is evangelicals. I think it's called the perspicuity of scripture, um, which means that that the, the main emphases of scripture are, are very plain and it is for an oral culture. It's, it's understandable. Um, I would want to clarify, and I don't think this is what you were saying, but um, while we don't see you know, some of what we think of as classic exegesis in some of those early centuries, that was a very word-based movement. I mean, you could recreate the entire New Testament um, out of just the the, the letters and, and workings of some of those early church fathers, just how much they were always quoting different sections of the Bible and talking about it. But I think what you're getting at is now, what I said earlier, um, just a moment ago, is that the Great Commission is to go and make disciples. And the Bible is the substance of that. It's, you know, Jesus said, teaching them all things that I've said unto you. That's the Bible. Um, so it's a part of that. But um, just when I'm approaching it as a disciple maker, that can change the emphases. It can change um, It can change the, the way that I, I, I'm working to text, what I'm choosing uh, to preach over the course of a um, of a year, I mean, even that famous, you know, phrase, Second Timothy 4, 1 and 2, preach the word. Um, the context of that is, is the word is the gospel. Is he saying he's he, he, he yes, it's true. I need to preach, you know, Genesis, whatever, you know, obscure tech. I need, I need to be able to explain that, but but it's also you know the the emphasis is on the syllable of the gospel and disciple making, and I, I think that is very biblical. I mean, that's what we do. Is that's you Jesus didn't say the Great Commission is go. And, you know, word by word, everything I've, that's ever been said, Old Testament, New Testament, he said, go make disciples. And so you're preaching the word by word and chapter by chapter, and that needs to be done in that, in that larger context. Okay. So, so, but if I, but if I'm, you know, if I'm a different culture and I don't have the tools to do the word by word analysis, how am I, how am I doing that? And is that okay? Is it okay that, you know, I, I think about like, I'll be preaching this Sunday at the time of this recording at uh, Moody Church again. And, and, you know, I was the interim there for uh, almost four years. And when I was there, I preached through books of the Bible, um, you know, preached through Philippians, Matthew, whatever. Pastor Lutzer uh, actually did that sometimes, but uh, maybe more like Spurgeon did. He would often uh, work through a text, but it wasn't in a book. And and was was that okay? Are there different approaches? If I'm in a preliterate culture and I'm 
reading a Bible verse and explaining it, but I, I can't do the kind of exegesis that you would do. Is that okay? So when we think about preaching, what do we what do we need to bring and not need to bring to make sure that it's biblical preaching? Yeah, I mean that's great. Uh, one of the the, the fastest growing church um, movements um, right now uh, is over in South Asia. Um, the approach they have, I love this. The way they do church is it's because it's an an oral culture. Is um, they have the Bible audio Bible because again it's an oral culture that most people are illiterate. They have it on an audio, you know, like an MP3 stick and they they you can plug into their phones and what they do, they do for the church service i mean think about this they play a chapter of the bible and then they ask it's like the same five questions uh, what does it teach about god what's teach about us what is it um oh, how would you summarize it what did you like about the passage and then how would you apply it you know g-u-l-s-a and same five questions and so they 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 spend they, they listen to the chapter five they literally read the chapter five listen to the chapter five times together each time listening for one of those questions. That's obviously something that that's not going to work at, at, at the summit church. But I think the point is um, you're letting the Bible dictate what subjects is being brought up. Okay. You're recognizing that the book of Hosea is in the Bible for a reason. And it may, your people may like it better. Um, if you're always preaching on leadership principles from the book of Proverbs, but um, there are things about the redemptive story. Uh, that, you know, it, one of the things I, I found is that when you're not an expository preacher, and I don't mean just, you know, you, like you say, using all the the, the the modern tools, but when you're not that, you end up talk, you end up answering questions your culture is asking, but you ignore some of the questions they ought to be asking. And so you have to teach them what that question is. I, I've got to make sure that I'm giving the, the, the whole arc of the, the Bible is reshaping the cognitive framework of how I see the world. And so that requires using the whole corpus of scripture. And yes, it may come out in different forms. It could come out just working verse by verse of the whole Bible, or it could come out by, like I'm saying, as a steward putting together. But th the point is, I think the Bible itself is dictating what the people of God are thinking about and what they're learning from. So one of your uh, passions is expository preaching. And in this series, we've got folks who are verse by verse expositors, and we got some who are like not, like nowhere near that. Because uh, again, we're looking at different approaches in preaching. When you when you hear somebody who's uh, preaching on a weekend and not that's just you know they're maybe they're completely topical, maybe whatever it may be. What how do you see that? What would you would you say, man? I wish you were doing this. Would you say, I thank God for this? Or help me to kind of speak into what other approaches of preaching might be. Like, what would I say to them? I would say that the concerns are going to be what I've raised is like, are your you know are um, what are um, what are the people that are listening to you? Are they getting all that God has for them to, to you know, what is unpopular in our culture to not talk about it? One of the things that's very easy for me is when it comes to some of those flashpoints um, in our culture right now, when I'm working my way through letting, you know, the, the, the Bible dictate the, the emphasis that I'm giving to certain things, I can say, look, it's the reason we're talking about money again is because, that's a frequent theme in Jesus's teaching. And I'm just being faithful to that. Right. The reason I'm talking about sexual, sexual mores and sex, you know, uh, sexual, it's, it's right here in the Bible. Um, he, here's something our culture doesn't put a lot of emphasis on, but the Bible puts an emphasis on it. And so I am able to, to not just cater to the consumers. I'm able to reshape um, the, the whole mentality. And I, I think that's part of that, you know, between two worlds concept. I'm bringing them into the biblical world, teaching them both the questions they should be asking as well as the answers. I have no problem with starting where they are. Hey, here's the, what you're thinking about. Here's what you're worried about. 
but I very quickly want to get to the biblical narrative because that's a that's a huge what we're called to bring them into God's story, not to show them how God fits into theirs. Okay, so we're doing this series called the Great Communicator series, and so obviously a lot of the emphasis is on communication. Uh, it's not necessarily the although I think they're related, deeply related. I'm sorry, the the great exegetes because there are some people who are great do, do great exegesis, people who really know and love the Word of God. But something doesn't get communicated well. So how do you how do you go between two worlds? To just continue <laughs> that theme, how do you do that in a way that obviously I'm talking to you because I think you're a compelling communicator. How do you make that kind of teaching compelling? Because I, I know it's not happening by accident. It's not happening just to the force of your personality. You're planning some things out. Take us behind the curtain. Help us understand. Yeah, I mean there are people who um, uh, you know I listen to that would not have the same preaching style I do, but they are just incredible. I mean, you may have had some of them on the series, or plan to. Um, that you know uh, they're uh, that they just the way that they're able to start with where people are, and to uh, to bridge that gap. Um, I will listen to them sometimes just for their introduction. In fact, there's one guy I'm thinking about that man. I listen to the first ten minutes of whatever he's talking about because I'm like, man. Whatever he's about to say is the most important thing I've ever heard. And it's that he's talking about our society. He's talking about himself. He's talking about me. And I'm saying there's an answer here. And then he'll say, now let me show you where God's word gives a better answer, sometimes even a better question um, than, than what you're approaching. Um, I, it's, it's, it's that missionary call, which is so easy for us in the Western world to lose, um, is that the missionary impulse in our preaching. A guy named Michael Green um, wrote a book years ago called Evangelism in the First Century. And um, uh, one of the things he points out in the book is he points out the distinction between a missionary and a defender of orthodoxy. Um, and I've always found this really helpful. He said, um, in the early church, in the first few centuries of the church, God raised up some who were defenders of orthodoxy and some who were missionaries. He said they should never contradict each other, but they have two different roles. He said the role of a defender of orthodoxy is to show how distinct the Christian message is from the world. The role of the missionary is to bridge the gap and to show how what's being taught in the scripture is actually answering some of the questions and the quests that that are all around us in society. And you're trying to exegete both the culture and the Bible at the same time and bridge that gap. Um, in our kind of Western context, we have a lot of preachers who, who only see themselves as defenders of orthodoxy. Now, I want to reiterate what Michael Green said. They should never contradict. They're never like at odds with each other, but, but but they do approach a situation from two different vantage points. And I'm when I'm preaching, there are moments that I have to do the defender of orthodoxy thing, and I want to be faithful to do that when it's necessary. But usually when I climb up into that pulpit, uh, metaphorically speaking, what I am thinking about is I'm thinking about preaching as a missionary, which says, let me start with um, the brokenness. Let me start with the, the failure of our cultural idols. Um, let me start with the, the the where you are and show you how um, God has put eternity in your heart. And um, this unknown God that you're searching for, you might not even known it was a deity, but you were searching for it. Let me show you how you know him I proclaim to you. Um, preaching as a missionary, I think, is a way that you have to, thinking like a missionary, is how you, you bridge those two worlds. Okay, so let's keep going behind that curtain. So let's talk about your preparation process. And um, you know, we did having different conversations with different people, you know, so when you think about Max Lucado, of course I had him talk about storytelling, he had to talk about that or, you know, so, well, but I, I know, cause one of the things that you're particularly transparent about is you actually like you publish your notes. I mean, there's, so, so how do you get there? What's the preparation process looking like for you? 
Yeah, well, maybe maybe I can start with just saying how we think about the year preaching. Maybe that would be okay. um, be good, and then yeah, let's start with the big picture, then we can go down. Yeah, I like okay. it. So, big picture would be um, to, to to chase down my steward analogy even farther that I get from John Stott. Um, you know, when I think about what God's people need to feed on in the year, um, I usually think you know, there's um, I want about um, I don't preach all fifty two weeks of the year, but for the sake of this illustration, let me let me use fifty two as a number. If I'm preaching fifty two weeks a year, I would want probably forty of those just to be classic, working our way through text, exegesis. You know, we're going to study the gospel. Books of the Bible text, like going through books. Yeah, going through books. Right now, I'm doing the life of David, which is not entirely a book study, but it's, you know, first and second Samuel, essentially. Um, And um, because, again, I I, I just don't want to, I don't want my interest to dictate everything. I want to let the Bible bring that up. So um, about 40 weeks of the year in that, I'm going to pretty much rotate from Old Testament to the Gospels, to an epistle to the Psalms. I'm just going to kind of cycle through that, you know, and wisdom literature and that stuff too. But that, I'm just, so people really are getting a diet that's pulling out of the pantry, the different things that make for the meal. One of the the weaknesses, I think, in starting at Genesis 1, 1, you know, your first day as a pastor, and then for the next, you know, however many years sure. is I don't want to people, for people to only hear, you know, the gospel of John one time, 17 years into my ministry. Right. Um, so, Anyway, that's um. So I, about forty weeks, I do that. Um, and the, the other twelve, I would use for some very targeted, pastoral, spirit-led even um, uh, series. Um, I'm always going to do one on generosity, and that's not because we're trying to raise money. It's because I know Jesus said it's the number one competitor for people's hearts, and so it's one of the most frequent themes in teaching. It's going to be um, every year. It's for so it's vision and generosity and calling people to engage in the mission. Um, a lot of times I'll, I'll do one a short series, three to four weeks on. It could be you know just um, why people say they're not Christians, tough questions that people ask. Um, uh, uh, you know something, and then I'll do something usually in the relationship category because that really is for our culture. It's such a missionary kind of tip of the spear thing. So it's there, and uh, you know we give ourselves some flexibility and. And what we put where, but I would put about, you know, three fourths, two thirds of it and more of the working through books and then leave myself, you know, a good quarter of the year to really kind of, whether you want to call it speaking prophetically or ministering to the you know felt need, so to speak, of, of people and, and and using that to bring them in. Um, I usually do one of those, um, those kind of topical ones. I always do one in November. That's when I do the generosity and calling people toward mission. Um and uh, then I'll, uh, I, uh, a lot of times I'll use Easter to springboard and, and do a four-week kind of engaging people's, you know, where they are, some of the questions they're asking. I'll, we, I'll do that in every sermon. I mean, that's every introduction is going to start where they are, but but a whole series that's like somebody outside the church would be like, oh, that's 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 what I would want to hear. I've, I've got that question or I feel that need. So that's what I'd lay out but, the, but, uh, I, I the year. And I want to come because, and I want to, I want to get more granular, but I do think it's important to mention um, that that calendar. I mean, so you are creating a post-Easter on-ramp that's an easy time for people in your church to bring their friends who may 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 not be connected with church, may not know the Lord. I'm guessing fall has some sort of pattern like it, and most of the places, now this isn't true everywhere in yep. the world, but summer and winter are not great times to start new things for new people, but fall and spring are. So you're planning around that. So what is that post-Easter series look like? If it's four weeks, it's probably not going through a book. I mean, you could do a short book of the Bible, right? but what does that look like? Is that more thematic? Is that more topical? What does that look like? Uh, one year I did Unknown God, and it was basically uh, a lot of the questions that the new atheist raised. 
Um, you know, just it, it was more on the intellectual side. Um, one year I did emotions, you know, the, uh, the, the five most recurring emotions and how those show you that I called it smoke from a fire using Augustine's phrase that emotions are like smoke leading you down to the fire that you've built at the altars or whatever you're worshiping. Um, sometimes it's just a classic relationship series, you know, like uh, it's very easy to be very relevant talking about, um, you know, uh, unhappiness with being single difficulties in marriage, you know, there's things. Um, so uh, sometimes it'll be, it'll be like that. Uh, in, in the fall, November is the time we do our generosity series and mission series. Uh, you would think January would be the time for that, but the biggest month that people are thinking about giving is always December. Um, so it's, we like to do it leading up into that. Okay. Okay. So then, so then those are, you know, but then back to the, kind of most of the time it's working. So most of what people hear of you preaching is working through the books of the Bible. So so then let's take that down. Right now you're doing the David series, which you mentioned is 1st, 2nd Samuel, but maybe take us to a more traditional working through the book of Philippians. Um, so what would it look like for you, uh, you know, start maybe big picture five months before you start the series, I don't know when you start thinking about it, and start working towards that. Yeah, I have a team of people, uh, elders, other leaders here um, that we'll get together about every three months, and we try to project about six months out. I'll be honest, Ed, I wish I was the kind of guy that could lay out exactly which text. Uh, some guys are like, I even know the points that I'm going to make. I, I can't tell any of that stuff until I get really into the text itself. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. I'll get into a text like this needs to be two messages, not one. I certainly have not been able to develop the ability to say, here's what I'm going to emphasize from that text. I don't know that until I've buried myself in it um, for you know a long time. So we'll project out sort of like the big themes, which books of the Bible, what, you know, if, if there's a thematic thing that we're, we're, we're chasing through. And then um, I start that resource collection thing. I mean, the, one of the great things about um, about having time in your sermon preparation is once you put something on your radar screen, your mind starts to collect stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm reading something. I'm watching something. I'm like, oh, that'd be a great, that's a great question or a great story. Um, so give myself a, a good amount of time there. And I just collect stuff and I start putting it into files and folders that are are, are, are going to be ready. I um. I will, um, as we get closer to, like, let's say, to use the you know, Philippians as I get closer to it, and I'm going to call it, you know, something that's to do with joy, um, uh, you know, the problem of joy or something, you know, that, that really connects. Um, I'm going to, you know, when I get into to, to, to this first chapter, you know, that first, as I get close to it, I'm going to spend the week before um, I prepare the message. Um, so basically two weeks before I preach the message, I'm going to spend a lot of time in that chapter and in that text. My typical right. thing is to try to go one to two messages per chapter, um, not a lot smaller than that and not a lot bigger, because I feel like most of these things are written as letters and they're written to read. And that just it, it, it you I won't say exclusively, but usually that's what I'm trying to cover. So I'll spend a um, good, good amount of time in, in one of these chapters and really try to let the Lord speak to me in it. And um, I'm, I bounce it off. I've got a team of people now. They're on our staff before um, we had a large staff. I just used members of the congregation where I would actually ask them to read along with me and say, what do you feel like is in this text for our church? And um, I've, I've just found that, that, that the, the questions people bring to a text are different based on where they are in life. And I think one way other people think other ways, mm -hmm. the way they, they, what they bring to the text doesn't change the meaning of the text, but it, it does change sometimes what really, what really grabs you. And so um, I get all their input. Um, Monday when I sit down, um, I'll, you know, spend some time uh, um, 
in the text itself, looking through, trying to collate what, what the Lord's been saying. Um, I will then um, uh, get into um, other great communicators, what they have um, yeah, let me, taught I about want text. You to, before you do, before you do, I want to go back. So you've gathered the information from other people. So you must have a team, like you email people out and say, give me some feedback on this text. Yes. Yeah, I do that. Now, again, okay, now. Okay, so then you get that. Because we have a large staff, there, there are a lot of staff yeah. members, but before it was just ordinary people. You know, I picked up. Yeah, because anybody can do that. Anyone can invite them to to do that. And so a church of, of 100 could still do this. So so get some feedback on the text. By then you've kind of gathered it together, and it's Monday. You're going to preach six days from now on Sunday. Yep. So now you've got that information, and then go on to tell me about the great communicator. Yeah, so, and by the way, just one little thing about that group is, um, again, you know, like— <laughs> most of your listeners will have heard of, you know, standpoint epistemology, which says that, you know, you interpret only based on, and, and that, that can do disservice of the text. So the text is clear and it means what it means regardless of who's reading it. But um, when, when, when somebody, when the, when a single mom is reading a text or somebody who's been divorced, sometimes they just bring emotionally, they bring different needs that, that as a pastor, I want to be aware. I want to be aware of, how you're hearing certain things. And so mm-hmm. having some, you know, diversity of different kinds on that team has been very helpful for me um, in, 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 in being a pastor, not just of people who are like me. And I don't think that should be a controversial thing. I mean, I, I remember when I, I asked the people to go I was preaching through Philippians and someone gave me some helpful feedback on be anxious for nothing about what I might also want to include related to, for example, the fact that some people might struggle and have a disorder related to anxiety, which is not the same thing as let's walk through and trust the Lord in the midst of this. And and I will tell you, that would have not been my first reading of the text because right. that's not been my experience. So, so uh, I mean, wouldn't we all have a multitude of counselors? But anyway. So, uh, exactly right. So multitude get- of counselors. Because, it, it, you know, if you've grown up and you were, I mean, let's just say, I mean, God forbid, there's abuse in your past and you yeah. live with a, a sense of shame. And you know, there's there, there are things that that about Jesus, like a beautiful part of a diamond that suddenly begin to sparkle in your eyes, that somebody without some of those experiences just won't. That's part of what it means to be the body of Christ, is that we all see and sense different things about Jesus that we that we bring to this this thing, um, bring to bring to worship, bring to church service. So, all right, so so it's Monday. Um, I've spent some time in the text. I've got a general sense of not only what the text means. I've chased down some difficult, you know, what, what does this verse mean? What's this word mean? Um, and uh, I've got a sense of kind of where our people are. I will then um, listen to or read some great communicators, how other okay. people have, have have approached these texts. Um, it's been very helpful for me, even to have some diversity in that for, for me, because, um, again, just like different individuals bring different perspectives to the text, um, some of my black preacher friends, some of my um, you know, pastors who um, are—I I love listening to counseling pastors. Like whenever I can find uh, a counselor teaching through a text, I love listening to their exegesis because, man, they just—they lay the Bible open, lay the human heart open. They show how the, the two fit together. Um, I'll spend usually Monday morning saturating myself in a lot of that stuff. Um, so I'm bringing now kind of my experience with the Word, my understanding of it, some of that early exegesis, my sense of what God's doing in our congregation. Then I hear perspectives of other communicators. But that, so you're, again, it's almost like another level of multitude of counselors. Exactly. Right. From different backgrounds, men, women from different cultures and contexts, uh, again, who may see things that are that are in the text, that are already true in the text that uh, maybe you didn't see. That's right. And right. to be totally transparent with our, our listeners here, um, now that I you know, we have a larger staff, some of this is easier because I can actually 
appoint people. <laughs> I can. Yeah, um, that's fair. That's fair. To give yeah. people like, hey, I want you to go listen to this text by, and I, we we have a you know list of like thirty preachers. I'm like, just go find where any of these people have talked on this text and let's just choose five or six of them that look really interesting. And let's, so I will actually sit down to what is a digested outline of what they, of what those. Oh, interesting. The, yeah. Okay. And that's really helpful. It, it means I can do a, do it a lot more quickly. Um, but I will say before I had the resources to do that team, I just, I did it almost all myself. Sure. Um, and so you'd, you, would you just sort of find and listen to their recordings of it or would you read it or is it a mixture of both? A mixture of both. Um, I, okay. I've been a consummate note taker. Um, there's a verse in Proverbs that says the lazy man doesn't roast what he he took down in hunting. And um, the way I apply that is if you're going to spend eight hours reading a, a great book by, you know, Max Lucado or, you know, Larry Crabb or John Piper, um, and you've got, you've got, you've got stuff, you spend eight hours reading the book, but it doesn't matter how many books you've read, doesn't matter how many books you own. It matters. Can you access the material in those books when you need it? And so um, I, I have just, you know, I'll take an extra hour after I read a book cataloging it. I have a, um, a on my computer, I have a, um, a, a, a file for every single chapter of the Bible that I've worked on now for 20 some years. And it means I never sit down to a chapter of the Bible where I don't open that file and I've got three or four good leads there. Um, great illustrations, points that were made. Um, you know, someone who taught this there. A lot of times, I'll just actually include the point. Um, when I when I listen to it, when I listen to Ed Stetzer preach at a conference, you know, and you're talking about the woman at the well. Um, I guarantee you, if you preach on the, on the woman at the well, and I've heard you, I could open up John four, and there's a you know Ed Stetzer on that, and I look it up, and I'm like, I spent some time reviewing that. So between between my notes, my compilation, as well as um, you know, what now happens through some research assistance. I will just you know spend that time on Monday morning. Uh, one more thing, just for people that are early in the process, what I would what I would do is if I knew I was going to preach on John four in three weeks because I'm working my way through John, um, three or four weeks before I I just spend an afternoon collecting a lot of those sermons, you know, online, you know, DVDs, whatever stuff. So and I would just start like using devotional reading, you know, an hour a day or so, getting ready for this. You know, thing that was three or four weeks away. So it's harder if you don't have research assistance. At some point, as, as God gives you the resources, I'd encourage you to invest in, in some of that. It, it will help, but it's possible to do when it's just when it's just you. Okay, so we're through Monday. Um, Tuesday morning, um, I get up, and that's where I'm really trying to hone in on um, the, the clarity of the points to find that one kind of central thing. Um, maybe a little note here, Ed. Um, if people ask me what the biggest difference is in my preaching now and 20 years ago, um, first of all, you cannot find on the internet any sermons I preached 20 years ago um, because I'm embarrassed. <laughs> so um, there's a lot of things that are different, but um, I listen to I listen to myself like five years ago. I'm like, man, is that guy even saved? <laughs> Just the way you grow it. <laughs> but um, anyway, so uh, but what I, what the biggest difference is, um, I, I just really people have bandwidth to really kind of have one thing that is major. So okay. I will have okay. sermons with multiple points, but there's always one major driving point. Sometimes there's is that, is just that your thesis point. or is that like a, is it a one point sermon or is that the thesis statement or what is that? It, it can be both. A lot of times it's a thesis. Right. A lot of times it'll be four points, but they're all kind of like turning this one point, you know, in different angles. Um, sometimes it's just one concept. I'm like, it, here's the concept we need to get. And that is that as a steward, God has made us the um, not the owners. We are, are faithful with what 
you know, maybe a concept like that. And I just want to apply that and, 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 and come out of the text with it. So um, I'll really spend that time doing that by Wednesday. I'm really getting down into the, um, the manuscript stage. Oh, I, I skipped an important step on Tuesday afternoon. I send it back out to that group that I, I, I referred to earlier. Um, right, right now I just kind of call them tongue in cheek. We call them our genius team. I, I rotate people on and off of it. Usually they have like a three month service time, you know, they'll, and um, so they'll take it. And again, I try to have diversity. Uh, I try to have usually one of our counselors um, on there that try to have a racial diversity, have women on that team. And I just say, Hey, how do you feel like I'm doing with treating some of these issues? What applications am I not thinking of? Um, what red flags, you know, sometimes I'll say something and it makes sense to everybody that, you know, thinks like me, looks like me, but it, it, it strikes another. In fact, if I could say this, for a lot of us, it's like we we preach in this echo chamber and we're only good at reaching one kind of person because that's who all we know how to preach to. So it, it's messy. It, it I, I it rubs me the wrong way sometimes, Ed, because they'll but it's just it, it's honing that like I, I love the people that are in that congregation. I love the people in the community that are not in the congregation. And I want to present this in a way that is compelling and beautiful to them. So I've got to have them speaking you know, people that think like that speaking in. So they're giving me feedback and I come back. So Wednesday, now I'm getting into the, into the finer, the details of, of crafting this, um, making those applications. I do manuscripts, um, Ed, you know, I, I, I'm word for word, uh, put it down there. Um, that doesn't inhibit the freedom I feel when I'm preaching it to, you know, follow what's happened in the congregation or what God's doing in my heart in the moment, but it does give me some clarity, um, I find that without that, um, without having thought through and gotten the exactness, I, I tend to just I wander a bit when I'm up there in the pulpit. Um, and so I, I've just over the years developed the manuscript works best for me. I will just say um, for the young preachers and teachers that we train here at the Summit Church, I encourage them. Uh, I'd say the majority of you should not carry a manuscript into the pulpit. Um, cause I, I don't think it works for most people. The reason it works for me is because, um, I write the way that I speak. And a lot of people don't do that. They write the way they write and they speak the way they speak. But for me, I, I tend to write the way I speak. And so I can actually see these words and plus just, I mean, just different speaking styles. I can still maintain a really good engagement with the audience, even with the manuscript. Um, so I'm working on that Thursday. I'm tightening that up. Um, you know, getting my notes in the in the place where it needs to be. Our first service is on Thursday night, so it has to be ready then. Um, so I preach it Thursday after the first service. We do sort of a post-mortem. You know, what didn't come out right? What was not funny? <laughs> um, where did I miss an obvious application? Where do I need to tighten up, shorten, you know, lengthen, expand? And then um, it'll be, you know, that, that'll be the final thing before before Sunday morning. So um, we're, we're experimenting with a lot of things. Um, we've even, you know, in COVID, we started experimenting with um, even using, you know, conversions of like, um, how, I have notes in my hand. Can we have notes on the screen, essentially like a teleprompter right. that sure. I can engage with? Yeah. And so you, you don't want to ever have that inhibit because, because, you know, you're meeting with the, you're not just making a presentation. You're meeting, you know, worship is the people of God, the word of God and the spirit of God all coming together. And I want to make sure in that moment that I'm sensitive to the spirit of God, and the people of God. So I don't want to ever my notes, right. wherever they are to be, I don't want to be chained to them, but I do think you can just figure out what works for you in a way that you can in, in, engage people and yeah, I guess be the, professional. I mean, I, the, the but the manuscript thing, I mean, a couple of the great communicators uh, interviews have indicated that and you say, don't want to be chained to it, but that seems kind of chaining. 
So, mm-hmm. so what does that look like when you have a, cause I've seen you preach and you'll see somebody out there and you'll say something about that. And, and, and does that, I mean, obviously the flow of the manuscript is interrupted at that point. So how do you manage that? Yeah. I mean, again, I, I one of the things we got to do is not have, um, other preacher envy, <laughs> like how God okay. made you is not how he made them. And, right. um, okay. I remember my first few years of preaching, I was essentially trying to imitate. I think Tim Keller says that it's like, you listen to one person, you, you're a clone. You listen to two people, you start to sound confused. You know, in my early years of preaching, there was a couple guys I listened to that were total opposites. One was like fiery, rude, in your face, said over the top stuff. And man, he could make it work. Uh, the other guy was, I mean, he was soft and he was always like, I understand you heard, I heard, we all heard, you know, kind of. And I, so I'm listening to these two guys and my sermons are coming out as this whiplash going back and forth. Uh, well, mm. you know, same way I tried to preach like using the note structure that certain guys had. And right. it just, you know, it takes you a while and you need to be patient with it. You need to try okay. different things. It takes you a while to figure out what works for you. For me. Yeah, and I, w- I would probably say, yeah, for most people, it's not a manuscript, but for you, it does. It is. Yeah, because I can, okay. I mean, some okay. of it is my memory. I can look down and I can, mm-hmm. yeah, I memorize things pretty quickly. Even when I have it on, okay. you know, a teleprompter in front of me of sorts, what I can do is I can, I can engage with it. And then I can just in that moment say, hey, the Lord's doing more here. I need to go with this. But if okay. I don't, if I haven't done the work of getting some of those exact words, there's nothing spirit filled about verbally vomiting and rambling for a while, trying to figure mm-hmm. out. It used to be that sure. I'd be like, I want to say this. And I would circle that runway at five times trying to figure out how to land mm-hmm. that plane. Right, and I'm like, sure. I'm going to figure that out in the study with the spirit of God. And then, so in that moment, I can deliver it to people and then camp there if I need to, but move, keep moving. If I, if I want to, I, I, I work with these, these, whether it's, you know, on the screen or in, on, in my, my notebook in front of me, I work really well with those. Not all of our preachers and teachers will. And so don't, don't do it. You know, you may carry an outline right. of the pulpit that you've, you know, with five words on it and it helps you remember yeah. what you wrote out, but you know, figure out right. what works for you. I think if I, you know, I summarize a lot of our conversation, you have a remarkably high level of collaboration in your preaching preparation. And, you know, you start, you're sending people out bef- the week before, you're getting feedback on the text from people of different backgrounds. Uh, then you're listening to some people who others have communicated in around this text. Then you're sending out almost your first draft to that group. I think the same group you sent out the initial feedback on, uh, your genius team, I think you called it. Um, the help, you know, because I know also you're training preachers, preachers and teachers, right? You're training, you're training men and women who are going to be teaching and preaching in different contexts and different environments. How, and they're they're not going into churches that are large churches like yours. How do you train or teach or encourage them to exhort some of this collaboration process when they're going maybe to pastor a church of a hundred or speaking at some ministry on a weekly basis of of fifty? What would collaboration look like for them? Because that's probably where most of our listeners are. Today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so some of the specifics may not translate either because you know, we're different personalities, different skill sets. Um, yeah. Some of it may not translate because of size, just the size of the resources you have to work with. But, but, but like right. you're indicating, Ed, a lot of the principles do. Okay. And so yeah. the principle is your sermon sounds like whoever you talk to that week, which is why they say you preach your worst sermons in seminary. Cause you're basically arguing with all your fellow seminarians and nobody cares about that. Um, so uh, I'm early in my ministry. I used to go, write. I always have one sermon writing time that I would spend in a coffee shop simply because looking around at people, I would, you just, you're like, Oh, I wonder what, I wonder how she would hear this. Cause I'm watching some yeah. mom and, 
you know, so uh, there's ways to do it. It didn't have to be the same, you know, the same tools, but, but you've got to broaden it from just me, a 49 year old you know, white American Southern raised Southern. I, I just, you know, when I look at a text, I want to know what the, what, what other people have. So make sure you're, um, whether it's, you know, a team of volunteers in your church or, 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 or staff or location thing, just, you've got to, I remember I heard a guy one time who had a card up on his, um, the, above where his study was, and he just had written the names of four individuals in his congregation who were very different. And he would just look up there every once in a while and think, how does that person do it? That's a transferable principle. Another one that I've yeah, given stories is of, stories of Moody that does that Spurgeon. I mean, they're like, like stories of people who do this. Right. Yeah. yeah and that's the principle of transfer. Uh, another principle that we've gone over is, um, you know, don't waste most of, um, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're kind of a preaching junkie. That's why you would turn on this podcast is you want to know, like you love good preaching and teaching. You want to become better at it. you, um, so you've listened to a lot. How many things have you listened to that you've forgotten? I, I, it's like, that's that Proverbs verse, like start working on ways to keep that information handy, it, whatever, so that you're not just approaching something tabula rasa. You're, you're coming at it with people say, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? I'm like, well, we're actually looking at the week of 15, 14, you know, 10 to anywhere between 10 to 20 hours, depending on the text. But I, that really is deceptive because I've spent years Right. With these right. topics in. writing right. the right. sermon. Right. So that's right. a transferable principle. You just got to figure out, you know, what it looks like. Yeah. So what would you say to someone who says, well, J.D., what you really need to do is the word of God is, as we believe, it's inerrant, it's inspired. You just need to go in, find what's there, tell the people. Uh, involving all these other people is not necessary. Because, I mean, that's a lot of people's kind of, let me go in my study, hear from the Lord, and come tell you what I found in the text. And you're taking a whole lot of other steps. What would you say to the same say, well, why, why do that? Yeah, it's, it's most heresy in the Bible is emphasizing one truth over against all the others. And it's true, man, we preachers, teachers need to, we need to be in the closet with God. The word of God is inspired, you know, but Moses coming down from the mountain with the, the plates in his hand. Yeah, that's a biblical image. And there may be some application to a preacher, but it's not the only image. And first Corinthians tells me that God, um, God has put the spirits and wisdom, not all in one person for the whole church. He's put it in multiple people. And I, I want to be sensitive to that. I want to be a good missionary. I want to be um, a, a faithful pastor. And so I want to balance a lot of those things in preparation. Um, my early mm -hmm. days of ministry were spent, just like you said, um, it was, man, I'd start, I'd spend hours, I mean, hours pouring through commentaries and Greek text. And I, and I still do, you know, that on, uh, on the front end, but I, I've just added to that, this kind of sense of like, um, I need to have, be humble enough to know that God has, Jesus has a body and like living stones, he puts us in there and man, he just, I, I can be greatly enriched by a variety of perspectives and experiences and teaching gifts. And, and so I just, I want to avail myself of all that. It's true. Not everybody can avail themselves of of all that, but you know what? When God puts an opportunity in front of you and you squander it, I feel like we'll have to answer for that. And I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be lazy in any way. Thanks for taking the time, JD Greer. Yeah. You've been listening to Pastor JD Greer. You can learn more about him at jdgreer.com. 
Thanks again for listening to the Sets of Church Leaders podcast. You can find more interviews as well as other great content for ministry leaders at churchleaders.com slash podcast. And again, if you found our conversation today helpful, we'd love for you to take a few moments, leave us a review. That'll help other ministry leaders find us and benefit from our content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. You've been listening to the Stetzer Church Leaders Podcast. For more great interviews, as well as articles, videos, and free resources, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.